Lucky you. Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Let's start again. So, Billy, here we are getting ready to do, I think it's episode 95. Going to talk about a number of topics, golf on top of that, movies, gambling, and we're going to certainly talk about horse racing in the Breeders' Cup. But we thought we'd give our viewers who asked us to update our bumper music. What, what happened there? <laughs> well, we showed what happens when we try to work with a script. Bumper <laughs> uh, music. Lucky you. 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Whoop. Let's start again. All right. You, I'll talk with you a little bit. A little yeah. bit? Just a little bit or no? Shouldn't we overlap a little bit? 254. Lucky you. That's 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, you. All right, so just in case you didn't think we're having any fun at this, we'll give you a little peek into the production values of this uh, wonderful Alternate Shots podcast. So, Billy, what? I'm still laughing. I think at the very least that should put any future guests at ease. Right. We've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. (laughs) that's what happened somebody changed my grip and the next thing you know i can't do the podcast anymore i felt like i was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon and your brother was poking my brother my brother was making me laugh all right so let's look at one of these things okay up here we'll look at golf we had a really great month here with our golf karma what's going on there yeah we put james nicholas in the winner's circle I think James Nichols put himself in the winner's circle. Well, Do you know what he says? We didn't make him shoot 63. He did that on his own, but we certainly didn't knock him off his game. He asked Claude Harmon in the old days, uh, you know, my son wants to be on the pro tour. What do you think he has to possess? And he says, well, it's simple. He's got to be able to shoot 65 any day he tees it up on his home course. If he can't do that, forget it. My hat's off to James Nicholas. He, that, that boy can hit a golf ball. He had 23 under par. He had 27 birdies in four rounds. 27 birdies in four rounds. 27 birdies in four years. Just about a month ago, right behind me here, uh, talking to Eric Cole. How fun was that? How refreshing a young man he is. And another and another guy who has put his nose to the grindstone, stuck to his guns, and he's getting he's getting rewarded for it. Tune in every Saturday and Sunday and see what's going on. If there's if there's golf or not, you know, the, the golf world got confusing with live and everything else going on. I still don't know what's going on with that. Um, what I do know is this this field of golfers at this particular time in history is is top notch. There's 10 number one players in the world right now. First event in Maui, which was traditionally only for winners of the prior season. Eric Cole's on that list. He didn't win yet. But he's in because they want the top 50 there. That means he's over there in Maui, probably play the Hawaiian Open in, 
in Honolulu the next week, and he gets to pick and choose. Now, he likes to play a lot of tournaments, but he still gets to pick which ones he wants to go to, the venues he likes, the horses for courses that are best for him. It's still really the only sport that the individual is in, con- is in control of his own destiny by, by, through his ability. Have to fend for themselves. They're one-man teams. It's a remarkable talent to be to be able to get into the top 50. I don't know that this is a foregone conclusion of the uh, Saudi PIF group and uh, the PGA Tour, you know, materializing. I, I, I'm not sure. It's sort of cloudy in my mind. I agree. What about this Mark Frost? How great was it to meet him and to learn about at least the three books that that he wrote about Bobby Jones, about Francis we met, and then, of course, about the match, Ken Venturi, our buddy, and Harvey Ward, Ben Hogan, and Byron Nelson. What what a storyteller he is. Absolutely. And he also wrote the script for the greatest game ever played, which, in my opinion, is is the best golf movie I've ever seen. Not that there's an abundance of golf movies. And, you know, Caddyshack aside, which is more of a spoof than a than a golf movie. It was just great to watch that movie. To, it was seeped in history. Francis we met probably doesn't get the due he deserves because he wasn't a marquee kind of guy in our lifetime. But what a remarkable feat he pulled off. And, and the way Mark Frost presented it was just, you know, eye-catching. And then yep. they had the lead actor, Shia LaBeouf, who didn't? Who walked in and said, "I just came from the range with the, you know, the the clubs all." Yeah, the tell was walking in the door. We know you don't know how to play. They said spent six months in various pros to teach him how to do one follow through. He never really hit a full shot. He hit that only that last putt that that they had the little channel on the green. They they, right, they made an alley they, for him. Yeah. You know, last time we talked about great movies, you talked to me about two Alfred Hitchcock movies I hadn't really spent any time on, and I thought they weren't going to be any good because they were old. One was 39 Steps, or the 39 Steps. The other one was um, Foreign Correspondent. And unlike you now, those are right on top of my list. When you think about that's 60, 80, they're made 80-some-plus years ago when they had no techniques. The scene in 39 Steps on the train High above on that bridge, high above the water, that's like the train that goes over the Hudson in New York City, and you're looking down below and you see nothing but water. That that scene was incredible. How did they shoot that? How about the windmill scene in Foreign Correspondent? The timing of that scene, uh, just the atmosphere created. That's just such a good movie. Yeah, we should tell people if you want to go to a Tom Cruise movie because you want to salivate over Tom Cruise, you're talking to the wrong guys. We like Tom Cruise. But well, yeah. we like the elements of the movie. Part of it's the actors, but the other yeah. part is the way they take, like, um, what was the movie Vertigo? And we we do have a note out to Kim Novak. Let's cross fingers. Maybe she'll come on to our little podcast. What an actress! What an actress! And what a beauty! Yeah, a legendary actress. You know, I hate to throw you a curveball, but in all the Hitchcock talk we've done, we never mentioned a movie called The Lady Vanishes. Check that one out. That's another old one. If you're listening to this, you should check it out because I've listened to everything Billy said, especially about handicapping we'll get to. But these movies, you 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 get brought into this screenplay, the directing, the beautiful scenery. I mean, even yeah, in the cinematography, the 39 steps, if anybody who's played over in Scotland 
they they know where this guy is walking through the moors right yeah. or what's, something on high or whatever he's going to some town and there's nothing you don't see a house maybe you'll see a sheep if you're lucky i'll give you i'll give you one i just watched i'm not sure it's a movie but it's a series i think it's on uh netflix called get Gotti. it get is Gotti. get it's a mini series it's not like five seasons it's a small series back to castellano you know i guess castellano was in the mood for a steak one night uh, sparks. It starts there and it goes all the way through he was teflon don and it's it's well worth it it is well worth it get Gotti. get Gotti. Yeah. so go out and get Gotti, guys so what uh what about a gambling story i know that you've had some uh good beats and some bad beats uh you got any interesting poker hands for us when before we talk about the Breeders' Cup? I had a bad one last week. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, this happens in poker. And when it happens, you feel like, you know, somebody's got it out for you or something. But I had pocket kings and I flopped a king with a queen and an eight against an ace eight. And the turn was an eight and the river was an eight. I figured you could put Phil Ivey, Phil Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, and every other poker player that's ever lived together and ask them if they'd fold that hand, King's full, on the river. And, you know, maybe some of them would. I thought about it, but I, I had to know. And I was right. He did have the fourth eight. And that cost me. But that's poker. It's why you go back. I want that call every single time. The guy had, he, he went running eights. So how often do you get three eights on the board? Well, you were on the bad end of that. Usually the guy with the ace and the eight's on the bad end of it. And when yeah. he's close to the pot, he gets shot. That's why they call him the dead man. Yeah, well, Bill Hickok got, got it in the back with aces and eights. A week from now, you got the Breeders' Cup Friday and Saturday, right? Yeah, this week, Friday and Saturday. I'm looking forward to it. There'll be two days of races, very big purses, great horses, Young young horses. There's a two-year-old uh, that everybody's all excited about. I think his name is Tamara, who was very uh, impressive in the in his early days. So, I think he might be the overriding favorite of the two days. I'm personally am uh, on Archangelo again. I hope I'm going to look at the racing form when it comes out this week. But I love the way Archangelo has been running. I love the trainer, the underrated trainer, and. Uh, she seems to know exactly how to handle this horse. She's, you know, she she knows him. She knows when to work him, when to run him. Very impressive team effort there between trainer and horse and jockey. I think what she's going to do is wait and see what her post positions are. I know in the past, uh, her, her the game plan is to be basically to get to the outside where you're clear and make a, a, a strong stretch run. But in the Belmont Stakes, as she said, the window opened on the rail. She was like, oh, perfect to go right through there so that's how intelligent she is and how well prepared she is she she will try and figure out the best path for this horse to take uh, with the jockey of course the jockey has to make audibles very often they can't do what the trainer tells them to do all the time and some trainers don't tell them to do like todd fletcher will tell us they'll have a strategy but he'll say you know you're gonna have to use your head if something changes you know if you can't get through on the rail obviously you don't stay on the rail so Trainers are not only good with how they handle horses, they're good at figuring out how the race will be run and, and who they're up against and who they're entering against. And they're, 
they're very underrated at their at their jobs. It's not as lucky as it looks to some people. And it's Jenna uh, seems to be at, at the head of the class on where to go and what to get ready for. She's 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 a one. You've seen this picture many times. This is the betting window, right? Yeah. Uh, for people that go to the track, there's still the betting window, right? There is. It's no longer denominational. It used to be fifty. There was a fifty-dollar window, a ten-dollar window, and a two-dollar window. Now it's all—all all of them are the same. You can bank any bet at any window. Comes the champ. I mean it. You are the champ. Believe me, you got more guts than you got sense. I love it. So what do you want? <laughs> I don't know. It's a house rule. You have to give me a number. I'll be right back. I believe you will. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm taking a survey. Who do you like? I like the two horse. It's got front wraps. I always bet a horse with front wraps. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm taking a survey. I'm telling you, go for your lungs. The big money on the floor. He's the only close. I mean, real money. Who do you like? I like the six. That's the horse. That's it. Uh huh. Why? I always bet on five. Who do you like? Up yours. The number one horse. Thank you. I like the four. Number four. Four. These other nags are high. They're so tired. I get to the eighth pole. They look like they're standing still at a bus stop. They go. <laughs> and Billy, these are not like odd, never seen before characters. You've run into these guys multiple times in your 50 year association with the track. Absolutely. No doubt about it. There's an old story about uh, Jack Klugman and Walter Matthau at the track. There was an old guy there. They saw him there all the time. He was a tout. You know, he was always giving people tips and hoping to get a tip for the tips he was given. And he this the tout had wheeled a long shot in the first leg of the daily double, which means if he hits that, he's going to hit the daily double. And the and the first leg, the the horse did win at thirty to one or forty to one or something like that. And this old guy was so excited, he keeled over at the track. And Jack Klugman was leaning over him, and the crowd came around, and they said, "Is he alive?" And Klugman said, "Only in the double." <laughs> If I remember, this is where Richard Dreyfus is friends with this other guy who's a cab driver and who has a nasty habit. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. He has a nasty habit of of audio taping his clients in the back of the cab. Yeah, they share a cab. Uh, you know, they split driving a cab, Richard Dreyfus and um, David Johansson. <laughs> and jo David Johansson tapes the people in the back because he's looking for sorted, you know, talk and whatever else and he and he happens to catch on tape these two guys talking about a horse race the following saturday and uh you know the horse can't lose blah 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 you're saying that would be illegal to hold him but he's really ready so are you saying the horse the, the horse is going to win and the guy says the only way this horse loses is if he gets struck by lightning in the starting gate so later on, when Richard Dreyfus is listening to that tape and David Johansson is telling him to ignore it, Richard Dreyfus says to him something to the effect of, he says the only way he loses is if he gets struck by lightning. What do you like, lightning? Who won? Who won? Who won? Photo. Photo? Who's the photo? I'm sure glad I decided not to bet. Ladies and gentlemen, You didn't bet? I would have had a heart attack. You know, that's why I only bet two bucks on the longest shot there is, so I don't get my heart broken. Why is it on so long? Have you ever been in a photo like this guy and you're 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 in this anguish yourself? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And a hundred times. 
a hundred times. And sometimes it comes out the right way. Sometimes it doesn't. But when it does, it's a real elation. Winning a horse race, the fans, it's inexplicable how elated a fan is when he wins a horse race, whether he's winning $2.80 or $280. It's, it's, it's an amazing phenomenon. I don't care if you've never been to the track the first time you go. It's incredible to watch how excited people get watching these horses run. It's an amazing feeling, actually. It's really a rush. You know, blurred image was Marty's horse. He would. It is, and you know, a lot of people who have never been there are a little cynical about it. Many times they change their mind after they go. This is the anticipation. Gotta be. That's the guy. That's the half a guy, half a boxer. Yeah. And this is the only tape? Is this the only copy? Yeah. <laughs> Trot, are you all right? Have some nice beer. I quit drinking. <laughs> the photo sign went off. They got a winner. The winner of today's first race, number My God, Trotter! It's a picture you won! Blurred image and third, number two, Dream Roadblock. He really likes me. Times 28.40. You're rich. And the result is that official? Is that official? I can't believe I didn't bet that. What wonderful people. I'd hate to have to walk around this joint with $700 cash. 710. And you'll never have that problem. Because <laughs> the only reason I won is that you didn't bet. You are the unluckiest person in the world. Am not. Am. Am not. Who do you like in a second? The six horse looks pretty good. Huh? <laughs> you got a brother? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bill, you talk about the elation, the last race of the day. He's about to win his fourth race. He's going for his fourth race in a day. I think at least four, yeah. Yeah, and basically what he's done is he's taken the money. So he won $715 in that first race we just talked about. And he goes to the betting window and he puts it all down on that. And he does yep. that he third. He's parlaying right. everything he wins right back in there. All right, here we go. And for the last one, the bet's so big, they have to go to the counting room. Relation. <laughs> <laughs> Walking it out. <laughs> Now, would you say that's the epitome of elation in winning a horse race? <laughs> well, you know, that's a little bit closer to the Three Stooges winning a horse race than what really happens. But prior to the table tumbling and the rest of it, that was a familiar looking scene with everybody in the place yelling and screaming and jumping up and down. I remember taking my kids to the track once and we they loved a, a horse named Housebuster. They thought it was Housebuster. Buster. <laughs> 
boy's <laughs> name was House Buster, and they're all screaming for him down the stretch, and they're young. And there was a guy at the next table who said, can you tell those kids to keep it down a little bit? I was like, no. Are you <laughs> crazy? Tell them to keep it down? You must not have bet House Buster, pal, but <laughs> or it's, it's unavoidable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a great scene, but it also goes back to our uh, uh, affinity for movies and the genre of slapstick, right? This is kind of slapstick in this more current 1980 movie uh, at its at its best example. I remember when I was working in TV, uh, one of the directors, John Wolf, may he rest in peace. Once we were talking once and he said, think about slapstick. I mean, it's become very commonplace. But think about the first guy who had to go in and try and sell that to a producer. You know, how, what was his sales pitch? I got an idea. Let's have the guy tip back in his chair, have the chair slide across the floor, bang into the wall, knock the cuckoo clock off the wall, it lands on his head, the cuckoo bird comes out, the, you know, then he slides down the stairs. I mean, they would have looked at him like, what are you, nuts? But it became a, a huge thing in movies. I mean, a lot of guys made their careers on slapstick from Charlie Chaplin uh, in the silence to the three stooges to the Marx brothers, tons of it. And then, and here you see it right here, even Mel Brooks. So slapstick was a a, a huge addition to movies, a huge addition. Yeah. And that's why, you know, when you ask somebody what their, the 10 best movies are, it's, it's impossible. I mean, where would you put Let It Ride? I, I enjoy it as much as any movie I ever watch, but is it as good as Casablanca or Gone with the Wind? It depend, you know, it depends on your viewpoint. That's why it's impossible, literally impossible, to come up with the 10 best movies of all time in any kind of pragmatic way. You've brought up Mel Brooks. I just watched the original Frankenstein, and they were in the, um, the teaching laboratory in the university, and they're all kind of laughing because somebody hits the skeleton and he's going up and down and Brooks maximized that in young Frankenstein. But then the other scene that was interesting is Igor, what hump comes in, you know, this Igor, by the way, was much more nimble than Marty Feldman in young Frankenstein. This Igor walked up the side of the building and came into the two stories above window, comes down, humping down and he gets the um, normal brain and something scares him. He doesn't have the top on it. <laughs> he breaks the normal brain, <laughs> just like Marty Feldman did in Young Frankenstein. I thought Mel Brooks might have kind of adapted that, but it's right from Mary Shelley's or whoever did the screenplay. <laughs> this is well, great. You know, Young Frankenstein, um, Mel Brooks used all the same equipment from the original Frankenstein movie. The lab equipment is all, is all the same stuff, the original stuff. Even even the scalpel he drives into his thigh. <laughs> and this is great. We're getting back together in a few days. We're going to do the Breeders' Cup. Tune in to all the uh, recent episodes. There's a half a dozen to 10 of them that are brand new. We're just updated the Bobby Collins episode. You'll see that up this week. And uh, hopefully we'll have new bumper music for you with a lot of laughs. Yeah, and if you listen to our Travers episode in time, you might have uh, fattened your wallet with the exacta we called. So, <laughs> why are you laughing? Oh, oh, well, at least we have a laugh to add at the end. <laughs> Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today, Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Arky. subscribe to Two the show Adder. and hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified. Movie classics, of new episodes. Mark Gable, hit him hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes.